0: And did we ever solve a European swallow could convey a tropical Ooh. coconut to America via the husk? Since you are the English person on the show. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Curious fan, welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and with me are my two huntsman-loving friends. First, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hi, Peter. Are we friends? Uh, we play one on a podcast, yes. And of well course, played. our <laughs> fearless leader, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello,
1: Peter. Calling in today from my house because I'm on lockdown.
0: We are all on lockdown.
2: Welcome to Corona World, Dan. Would Thanks. You- I just started working from home today. Probably like had corona, passed it on to like 50 people already. Had it again. But, you know, we got there in the end. How many times have each of you at
0: least had a moment of suspicion that you may have picked up the coronavirus?
1: Constantly. Uh, just, yeah, just once for me when the front came through and I got a <laughs> bad headache and my eyes started itching. I thought, "Uh-oh," but then it was just uh, you know, allergy but stuff in the front.
2: I had that uh that whole bronchitis thing a couple of weeks ago. So I've still got a bit of a cough and like hacking stuff up and uh, you know, I'll have a cough and like oh my god. So wait, wait, you're an idiot. You're you're still <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: alive, you're perfectly healthy. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, since there is no soccer anywhere, uh, I'm trying to do a podcast specifically—Turkey. Well, okay, that doesn't count. Uh, there is no soccer in the United States. Um, how about that? And as specifically with the uh, club this, this uh, podcast is specifically about, uh, we figured the best way to try to handle this was do some question and answer with uh, uh, Patreons of Buzz's account and from the Twitter account and general stuff. So we've got a whole list of questions that we'll go through. But I, I did want to start off with John of the Dead's question, how are you guys? Dan, how are you?
2: Uh, well, uh, whoa, wow! I wasn't prepared for that question at all. Buzz, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, although I'm, I'm worried about my
1: old man. You know, we're supposed to be on lockdown, and he's out going to restaurants with his buddies. Uh, oh.
2: You know, yeah. He's is he the so governor of Oklahoma by any chance? <laughs>
1: no, he's been doing good for most of the week. I think he just got stir crazy today in one of his uh, one of his buddies was feeling depressed so he went out with him to a restaurant but uh, hopefully he won't get get the SARS and kill himself <laughs> Not going. The SARS. You yeah, made that sound evil. like unrelated events. Just get the SARS. You mean
0: the yeah. COVID nineteen is what? you Yeah, mean. yeah. The okay. COVID nineteen. SARS
1: was a couple cycles ago. That's right. Well,
0: that's is, swine flu- if you can get one virus, you can get all the viruses. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Since Major League Soccer is on hold, trying to do a podcast about a specific team within the league is complicated and problematic. So we decided what we do is a round of questions and answers from the listeners uh, from. His Patreon account, from the Twitter account, etc. We have a whole list of them here, and most of them, or many of them, we're dealing specifically with the questions of the delay, uh, the length of the delay, and impacts on various parts. And one of the more interesting questions came from John Garcia. Actually, he was one of a, several people that asked this same question, which is interesting. And, Buzz, I'll let you answer this first. How do you see a, uh, do you see a chance Franco Jara stays with Pachuca until the end of their season, whenever that may be, out of good faith, even though his contract will probably be up before then?
1: Well, I specifically had a chance to ask Lucci this question on the conference call this morning. Um, And Lucci uh, obfuscated a little bit because he's not the contracts guy. But uh, he did say, you know, as far as he, Lucci knows, and as far as the club knows, the guy's already signed up uh, with his contract for the season, for the FC Dallas part of the season. Um, You know, and professional contracts being what they are, his other one expires at the end of uh, May and the FC Dallas one kicks in you know, right away. So um, this is not the kind of thing, legally speaking, where you can just, ah, I'm going to chill out and relax and not and stay with Mexico for a while, and then I'll show up. He actually has already signed um, at least the pre-contracting from what Lucci said. It sounds like maybe even more than that. So um, the answer is no, Carr will not be staying in uh, Mexico past the end of um, May.
0: Even if Liga MX as a season continues to roll on past that
1: well think about it um the way major league soccer would work i mean unless he has some sort of clause i would that could say specifically something about this i mean if your contract expires like mls players do at midnight december 31st and then they want you to come play on january 5th well is your insurance going to cover you are you going to do it for no money You know, it doesn't really work that way. You know, contracts up, contracts up. He's already signed the next one.
0: Danner, is there any conversation over in Europe about how contracts, you know, players who are due to run out of contract at the end of uh, the current season uh, available for a summer transfer window are impacted if, in fact, let's say uh,
2: the Premier League ends up running through July? I haven't heard a lot, but, um, you know, through July, I mean, you've got a, a large transfer window open. We're obviously not at a point where they're talking about transfer window closing, although that's such a fluid situation. You don't really need a, a global pandemic to to wonder about when that's going to end next. Um, the big situation in Europe really comes down to non um, <coughs> excuse me um, players running out of contract. In which case, you know, it's a pretty cut and dry system. There's been enough enough lawsuits about it. The you know, once it's over, it's over. Uh, you know, and, and players aren't going to play without a contract since there is uh, there is still a fee on, on those um, under-24s, but but not with the overs, uh, thanks to uh, the Bosman rule. Hmm.
1: Yeah, they, if you wanted to keep a player past the end of their contract, you would have to assign them to some sort of short-term extension. And in his case, he's already signed... The next thing, so yeah, I just uh,
0: I I wonder if there's a chance that FIFA may end up having to make some sort of uniform uh, exception that allows teams to keep players under contract to the end of this current season because you can see a scenario where uh, a team who uh, essentially uh, intended to have a roster of players through a season suddenly now are missing I don't know three four five key players uh, because their contracts expired so. I, I, I think there's going to be more to play out about this, especially from FIFA when, when some of these bigger named club teams uh, start having uh, that issue pop up. And, and, I, and there's one player in particular that I'm thinking of off the top of my head that I can't recall uh, the name of over playing in the Premier League is due to leave his club uh, at the end of the season, whose contract expires. And I can't remember who it is. Well, anyway, you, you get my point. I just I just don't know if it's going to be as clean as cut as everybody can just leave and go do the next thing, whether the league's moving on or not.
1: Yeah, When you get into the level of FIFA discussions, it's hard to know. I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, especially in this country, you're talking about legal job ramifications and lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. And there's no way someone's playing without some court of contract or conversation just for insurance reasons, if not their own pay reasons. It's just I don't I don't see it being legally possible when the guy's already done his next deal. Yeah. We
2: think as well, um, you know, looking, you know, FIFA is going to be driven by whatever goes on in Europe and Europe is only a couple of years ago that there was a a huge lawsuit that claimed the that soccer contract goes against workers rights and uh, basically forced a player to be able to buy his way out of his contract after two years for a, for a pretty set fee. Um, it hasn't been used a whole lot, so it was never really a massive headline. But it it kind of had the potential to to really change a lot in the game.
0: Justin Bittner asks uh, a similar but uh, equally interesting question: Will the delay derail a Reggie Cannon summer sale? Dan? So
2: it definitely could. Um, you know, the big thing's going to be right now. Uh, we've got all the travel restrictions from europe um to europe isn't isn't really a huge deal but there's a lot of European countries that are kind of pissed off with uh with the president right now for for putting that in place so you know who who knows really what the especially if the uh the curve uh is is at its peak later here than than there um I know we could talk to a blue in the face about numbers that people are throwing around but if it's July like some people have said well Europe's not going to accept flights uh, during during the main body of the transfer window when really Reggie would be shopped around to Europe maybe he potentially couldn't even get into Europe so uh, I think that more than the, the status of, of any season is, is really going to determine uh, his future or his short term future
1: yeah, that'll be the reason that something could go wrong. It will be the logistical part, the government part, the travel part. In and of itself, the the delays in play uh, that that won't affect anything. Reggie's got a body of work on tape. Um, if anything, this layoff's going to make him healthier and fitter for when the summer window does roll around. You know, in terms of the MLS side, it's not like he's waiting for uh, that. Doesn't coincide with the end of a contract. It's in the middle of a contract. You know, or the end of a year. You know, so. All those play-side, league-side logistics, no, no effect at all. It'll just be, as Dan said, for um, you know, immigration and, and, and travel and, and, and will they let you know, if even Americans come into the country or not.
0: All right, so uh, just hear me out. If, in fact, the delay goes uh, for a while— and the number of games that Reggie was scheduled to have played between now and July, which was pretty numerous both at the club and international level, national team level, if that suddenly now is reduced by 50% for the club and 100% for the international, you don't think that impacts uh, people's interest level or awareness level of him overseas?
1: I, I don't. I think that he'll, like I said, I think he's been seen enough that anyone that's already interested in him or that's going to be interested in him is already interested in him. Okay. You know, cause there's nothing to compare him to in terms of like, Oh, I like this other guy who's currently playing better. I mean, everyone's off. So it's, there's no, you know, I, I don't, I don't see it delaying. And there... our slay.
2: Plus with the availability of, you know, tools like wise scout and, you know, to provide analytical data, like historic analytical data, Um, numerous uh, masses of of tape of of his body of work for both the national team and FC Dallas. You know, any team isn't really going to need to know what he's done over the past six months. They've got, like Buzz said, he's got such a large body of work at this point.
0: And are there any other right backs globally who uh, release videos of themselves performing a Michael Jackson impersonation uh, dance routine uh, for their middle school talent contest like reggie cannon has i don't think there is
1: no that video was worth a two million dollar valuation bump just by itself it was was pretty and
0: not only was the video great (laughs) it was super brave on reggie's part
1: oh yeah you know how, I mean, it's not like I'm a dancer, but you know how hard that is? How much you have to practice to be that good? It, I mean, he's not Michael Jackson, but it was amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, No, he was fantastic, but to go out in front, of, it's middle school for Christ's sake, know, right? Like that's I know. That's some, that, that takes a, a big sack to go out in front of all the boys and girls in middle school and perform a Michael Jackson routine dressed as Michael Jackson, single silver glove included, I yeah. might add. Reggie's a pretty confident guy. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) No doubt about it. All right. Uh, Jet Johnson asks, how big of an impact do you think the lost revenue of this season will have on the health
1: of major league soccer buzz? Goodness. Um, Well, it's important to remember in that context that uh, MLS, most MLS teams don't make money already currently. So you're you're talking about a bunch of billionaires and this is why they're really careful about who they let own a team these days. You got to have crazy pockets. Because, um, honestly, there won't be, you know, most of the teams aren't looking at a revenue, excuse me, at a profit loss. Now, if you cancel the whole season, that obviously is a bump that hurts anybody. But um, anybody that's buying into MLS these days knows that they're buying in short term to negative revenue flows. So um, it's not going to be that much more prohibitive than it is already you know i mean the 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 player costs are the same the you know the stadium costs actually even go down you know money you spend on advertising you've already spent you know it's not like you're going to be spending now you should have already done it so i I don't see it having much impact on the mls level these clubs and these owners are all uh crazy crazy rich and can handle it uh, Dan
0: Holden Grant asks a similar question, but wonders about the effect on smaller teams around the United States. Uh, I assume he means like uh, USL uh, and other lower division leagues.
2: Yeah. Um, hey, Holden. How's it going? Haven't seen you since well, Coronavirus. What's up? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean,
0: when you that's, look at MLS... That's how small our podcast is. We actually give shout outs to people who send in emails <laughs> like they're our next door neighbors. <laughs>
2: He's my fellow beer guardian.
0: I know. I know. I love it. Go ahead. He's sorry. the guy
2: that wears the red, white, and blue helmet on the capo box. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. hello, Holden. Um, so, uh, you know, traditionally soccer teams, you know, they put out their budget based on, on their income, right? Um, in this modern day of crazy billionaires and Seattle Sounders and, you know, all these teams with uh, just stupid amounts of money where they're like, hey, we don't care what we make and if we make a loss we're gonna throw money out there they they don't care um, when it comes to your Denton Diablos and of the world and you know even down to your uh, Ford Madison's where where it, it does kind of become do or die based on on the next uh next set of revenue you know they they are gonna they they are gonna be affected they are gonna have to pull the purse strings in a little bit um you know it's just unfortunate reality we we probably are going to see a couple of you know UPSL and MPSL teams not return from this break uh, unfortunately uh hopefully the hopefully enough teams are financially uh, stable where where they can just you know survive out and yeah, the uh, the reduced uh, reduced expenditure, as Buzz mentioned, you know, that still applies. Teams lower down have to rent stadiums or uh have some 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 day to day costs which which will at least be reduced. So there's you know, hopefully that will help people out.
0: Okay, but my question and I'll let me go back to the I think the impact to the lower division teams is is pretty clear because those run on razor thin, if not negative, margins Players having to get paid, all that stuff. But you know, at the Major League Soccer level, uh, you know, I think we're all working under this premise that that the they'll start playing games again in I don't know. Let's let's be super conservative and say eight weeks. Um, But if they start canceling games outright and they start losing that game day revenue, which we know from the beginning of this process was so important to the revenue. And cash flow positivity of the league that they were willing to suspend games versus play them in empty stadiums that's where i think and not just limited to major league soccer i think this goes for all sports teams um in many cases that's when this really starts to become a financial issue for everybody
1: well mls has a higher um dependence on ticket sales for revenue than other leagues which are more broadcast dependent that's why things like the nba were willing to play with empty stands as a league not the players didn't like it, but it a league because their money comes from broadcasting um it certainly is true that most of most of the revenue for mls teams comes from tickets and if if they end up canceling games or canceling the whole season then teams are going to be cutting back certainly they're going to cut um, personnel they're going to lay off people but they're not going to cut players because those guys are paid anyway no matter what and they're going to need them long term so it's just going to be Staff that are going to have to ramp. But they could. They figured they can ramp back up all their staff when the next season rolls around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is definitely going to be a loss of revenue. But anyone playing in this pool, the MLS pool, knew coming in, they were going to they were going to be spending a lot of money. So it's not it's not like a team's going to fold if you get my if you get what I'm saying in MLS. Whereas a bunch of uh, lower level USL, two, NPSL, NASL, NISA, all those myriad of tier three tier four leagues are going to have teams full completely they're going to have teams go into hibernation and lay off everybody and cut all their players because those those rosters they can just build back out of whatever is laying around afterwards relatively speaking so uh, it's a very very different landscape and our pyramid is not solid our pyramid is held
2: up by the top you mentioned layoffs and uh, you know we know locally the uh the dallas sidekicks have started laying people off yeah uh, um you know um another thing as well with with mls you know a lot of uh, a lot of teams are dependent on their season ticket revenue that's what drives the budget uh you look at a team like fc dallas and the majority of, of ticket sales aren't season tickets it's you know on a regular game a third to a quarter it's you know it's a lot easier to say the money's in the bank and you know what, we'll credit you part of your next season ticket or we'll give you you know, a bunch of extras for free or or something where they keep the money and they're not giving any back. But it's a lot harder when, you know, you're not getting the walk-up sales and, and the single-game sales, which, which FC Dallas, especially, and those kind of lower-tier MLS teams really do rely on. So,
0: uh, hypothetical. If other USLC teams, like Ford Madison, Lansing, Greenville... Which are the clubs that I think we're talking about that are in the most danger of really being impacted financially? Get to the point where they start furloughing uh, furloughing players. Will the Hunts continue to pay North Texas SC players on that roster if they're not playing any games over a, a much a longer extended period of time?
1: I think a few of them they would, but there are a bunch of them that they probably would not. That's a good question. Uh, this at this point we don't have I don't have any answers to that. I'm just guessing, but. Um, there's a difference between a player that you think that you're you're trying to bridge from your academy to your first team and has first team potential. And then you have some players who are, uh, let's call them semi-pro filler guys that play for both North Texas and for the sidekicks, for example, or or outlaws. Right. And then then you have guys that are uh, in on a one year loan. You just you just wipe the loan and let them go back. You know, it just depends on the every guy's going to be different. You know, like they're not going to let Breck Evans walk. For example, you know a guy they've built they've invested in the academy for five years and they've now invested a year and now they're investing a second year and at on Texas level, that guy they'll try and figure out how to help you know, but then your your Oscar Romero who's a thousand I'm assuming a thousand dollars a month semi pro who also plays for the outlaws, I mean that guy'll be you know working at wherever he can get a job, you know. Well, lots to be uh, determined uh,
0: about the delay, uh, and, I, I s- and I certainly have this weird feeling this is going to go longer than anybody thinks it's going to. I, I don't think this is going to be over uh, in a month or two months' time. I, I'm really worried that this is going to be something that globally ends up impacting business and sport uh, way longer than just a couple of three months, unfortunately. I don't know if you guys agree or not, but that's certainly my concern at this point. Um and, and we'll only be able to answer these questions as we continue to go through it.
1: Well, I'm obviously very concerned about it because every piece of revenue in my entire life is wrapped up with sports. So um, sur- surely I'm <laughs> definitely worried about it.
2: All right. Well, huge, gambler. Huge, huge gambler. <laughs> huge gambler. <laughs> huge gambler. Huge
1: <laughs> gambler. I'm in it away. Yeah, I'm gambling on third degree at this point. So. Yeah. Well. The
0: Patreons love you, Buzz. All right, let's move over to an interesting uh, set of questions from Carlos Ramon Martinez, who uh, has, I I don't know if he's taking umbrage with our opinions about Jesus, uh, or if he just wants more explanation. So the question's pretty long, but I'm going to edit it down into this. Can you talk more about Jesus and his play in these first two games? I feel like he is the team's most interesting player at this point. Uh, he goes into further part of the question about how he understands how he's not the most effective, or maybe he's not playing at a hundred percent, but Buzz, do you want to try to, uh, parse this out a little better?
1: Sure. Well, Carlos specifically mentioned working hard and making runs and some of the runs that's true, but there's definitely, and he is working hard. I'll give him that, but there's definitely some runs that are missing, um, from last year when he would turn and penetrate into the box in the final third and those things aren't happening. And I, and on top of that, even though he is working hard, the passing rate has dropped um, and the creativeness has dropped, which comes down to the linking and the checking back and the, the thing that Lucci specifically cited, which was his line breaking when he comes, excuse me, when he checks into midfield and makes the chaos happen. So real quickly two home games this year versus all home games last year. This year at 65% passing, last year at 82%. Now some of those games were even as a forward, which is worse passing usually. So that's a 20, 20, uh, 15, 17% drop off in passing percentage. Obviously he's got zero goals and zero assists. But here's the other t- other two things for me this year: zero successful dribbles at all this entire season, one key pass a game. Last year at home. 1.4 key passes a game and a hold and one dribble a game. So now that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's basically a significant uh, chunk better or worse, sorry, this year than last year. And this is my favorite one. Um, last year at home, 1.3 bad controls a game, and this year, 2.5. So again, these are small samples, but when you're talking about the quality of Jesus's play compared to last year, It is definitely dropping off. Now, of course, we think very highly of him, and we think in the long run he's going to be a great player, but there's definitely some signs just statistically alone that he's fallen off. And in particular, when we watch the game, we just don't see those impactful passes, those final third breaking passes, those final third darting runs, and those connecting linking stuff that he was doing last year. So that's what we talk about. Despite the fact he is working hard and making runs, it's just not coming together.
0: Uh, Dan, do you think Lucci uh, probably puts... Oh, how's the best way to ask this question? Do you think Lucci holds on to Jesus longer as a starter than he probably should? I, I think he will. Um, well, I, has I he? I mean, let not even worry about going into the future. Do you think he already has? I mean, even thinking back to last season.
2: Um, I, I mean, I'd rather just keep it in the present and say no, because the your alternate is going to be starting Paxton there, and Paxton just wasn't fit enough to start. <clears throat> now, you know, if if New York City was uh, was on schedule and Jesus hadn't gone with the Olympic team, I'd be kind of like, well, maybe Jesus can sit this time and come on those last 20 minutes and run up players and kind of do the things that he does really well. Uh, you know, the things that we, we just haven't seen. You know, he kind of needs... a. Not even a kick up the ass. He's he's definitely trying. It's not it's not a case of effort but he just needs to refine that, find the things that were successful last year and and sort of tweak those, not just you know, right now he's in such an important position as as the link in player between the midfield and attack that he can't have a quiet game. It's just one that it's you know, it's not a a six who does who's, you know, made a couple of stops but hasn't done a whole lot. Um, offensively, it's it's the one player who, if you are quiet, it really sticks out. It It's accentuated right now by the
1: fact that Tanner Tesman's playing as a second six. So Jesus is even more on an island than usual. There's not a double eight situation in the first two games. It was a 10 with two sixes, if you will. So that highlighted the reliance of the team on Jesus and magnified his poor play in terms Did- of...
0: Do you think that uh, the the reason for the double six is related to uh, Lucci's hesitancy to put too much pressure on Tanner to go forward or more of a concern of giving Tiago Santos some additional help as he was kind of figuring out the league for the first time?
1: Uh, I think it's both of those things. And I think it's Jesus's, um not necessarily willingness to... Uh, play that what you remember last year, what Matt Dole termed triple pivot when Paxton was swinging back from time to time and taking that spot. Jesus doesn't do that. So when you have Jesus in there, you need a gut, you need some people behind him that are a little more, uh a little more holding in nature, which is fine. if it's Brandon Servania or Brian Acosta as a linking eight, they can, they do that. They trick back and they do that turn. So it, it's a combination of all three of those things and it being early in the season. And, you know, it's a multifaceted issue, but it definitely what Lucy specifically said it was for sure the double six with a single So And
2: just, um, just going with that, uh, that theme of uh, Jesus' defensive actions, you know, you can kind of contrast it when they brought Paxton on in the first game, they immediately switched to a single six and more of like a double ten. Because, you know, Tanner was dropping back, Paxton was dropping back. I think it was Matt Doyle highlighted, you know, the a couple of like ridiculous defensive runs that Paxton made prior to the goal you know you know that Santos isn't getting left out on an island himself he, he's gonna have some cover from one of the two right
0: okay Ryan T has asked a question completely unrelated to on the field stuff or at least not directly which is uh, it's been known for a long time that the Huntsman business model, and kudos to Ryan for using Huntsman, is not to spend big money on transfer or stars, but to spend on homegrowns and the youth academy. But I've never heard why that is exactly, besides the term sustainable business model. Do the Hunts not have the money to spend big? Do they see FCD as a money-making venture where they can't make money that way? Basically, I know they won't spend the money for M- Funes Mores, but why? Dan,
2: so let's just dispel uh, a quick myth. Uh, there is no way in hell that FC Dallas is a money-making venture. Um, the, the youth section certainly can be, but uh, the, the first team, no. Uh, sustainability is obviously good. You want you know every owner should aim to make their club at any level uh, self-sufficient. You don't want to be bankrolling it. Because you know, all it takes is a rainy day, and suddenly the club's out of business, or you're desperately trying to find a seller who is not going to give you a good price because you know they know you're in a hole. Um, so, so you know, being self-sufficient and and having a high level of talent in doing so is obviously obviously great. Whether that's you know for the sake of success or the sake of of sales, uh, and the other thing you know the hunts definitely feel they have a duty to to the national team and to the game as a whole uh and you know the reality is you make stars and it grows the game uh if going out and spending a lot of money on on some big name players was the way to make soccer uh even a mainstream sport in in the united states nasl would have achieved it but it didn't instead you had a a vacuum for you know 20 years uh it's just you know a lot of it is going to be you know people talk about fc dallas is producing so much of the national team and and that's what the hunts want they want to have players going off to national team and Eventually, if uh, FC Dallas ever respects the uh, oh sorry MLS respects the uh, international windows properly, that they know they're not going to miss out on that basis. Uh, it's just you know it's just coming down to to responsibility. Um, most countries have have large academies. You know you can look at the England team and see a lot of West Ham and Liverpool and Man United. And um, you know when you look at where players are coming from, Spain, it's it's all uh, Barca and Real. Uh, you know that doesn't really exist with the with the US national team, but it will, and it will probably be FC Dallas, New York Red Bulls, LA Galaxy, Real Salt Lake.
0: Yeah, I think everything that you talk about, Dan, is uh, accurate, but I also think it's a byproduct of the real uh, core. Reason for the way the things are, and 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 frankly, that just comes down to the fact that the Hunt family, starting with Lamar Hunt, uh, treat this as a business and a business first. And to operate good businesses, you have to hit a bottom line. Uh, you want to keep things in the black, and you want to keep things that are in the red uh, to a minimum. And I and, and I think there is some logic to the argument that the reason why Lamar Hunt pared all of his ownerships down. Uh, in Major League Soccer from Kansas City and Columbus down to Dallas was because uh, he and his family had the foresight to understand that the real true opportunity to make revenue in this league is, in fact, through youth soccer, which is a kajillion-dollar business. And if you go and look and really begin to think about where Uh, The Hunt family has invested their money and gotten the biggest return it is with that youth club. There is no argument to be made that not only uh, can the youth uh, academy, the youth clubs, the premieres, the select and the academy make money. It does make money. I mean, the math adds out to it's it's got to be well in well plus of 10 million dollars a year. 15. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That they are generating from that. And I think I'm still correct in saying that the Hunt business model breaks this up into three pieces. It's the youth, uh, youth club system is one business. The second business is Toyota Stadium. And the third business is the Major League Soccer team. And those number two and three don't make any money. In fact, they probably are money losers. It's the youth part of this that is making money. So, um, you know, we've talked about this before. In my mind, FC Dallas is kind of this weird upside-down thing from everything else in the league, which is it's not a major league soccer team that just happens to have a very successful youth academy. What uh, the Hunts have done is they successfully built one of the nation's best and most successful youth club and academies that just happens to have a major league soccer team atop it. And and they use the club team or the, the major league soccer team as a, uh, uh, a carrot uh, for kids to want to get up because that's where the kids all want to go. It's a path to a professional career. But I don't think the Hunts ever truly believe FC Dallas as a senior team can be a significant revenue generator or a profitable machine. It's why they don't spend a ton of money on marketing, because the money amount of money they'd have to spend in marketing to make up the 6,000 extra p- people per game to fill up that stadium, it just that math doesn't work, right? It would take them millions of dollars to promote and brand this team successfully quick enough to suddenly now go from fourteen or 15,000 to 20,000 per game. And the added revenue from that extra $5,000 per game is just never going to make up the difference in what it costs to do the marketing. So I always tell people, this is all about the bottom line, and it's not a criticism of the Hunts. Look, they are a family that have successfully owned professional teams in this country for well over a a, a combination of 100 years, and they uh, continue to uh, do very, very well for themselves. Uh, there are a lot of other professional teams that have come and gone, and or ownerships that have come and gone in that time. But when you really want to understand the 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 way this business is run, is just remember that it is a business, and they treat it as such first and
1: foremost. I would I would follow that with a reminder of the as you just mentioned the history of the Hunt family in sports, Lamar and his kids, the NFL. They got in you know at the right time and were smart and didn't go crazy and that league build and grew. And now it's worth $2 billion and compare that to hunt's experience in the North American soccer league. When he watched the cosmos go bat shit crazy and destroy that league and blow the whole thing out of the water and kill it all. So their mentality on soccer is to do what they did in the NFL, which is be smart and be budget conscious and make the thing survive. And Lamar saved this league already once. He doesn't want to see it crash again and just wait until the league, the entire league comes up and the entire league becomes profitable probably hitched around TV revenue someday, and that's when their franchise will be worth a lot of money, and then you might see their behavior possibly change. So the history matters with this family.
0: Yeah, it really does. And, you know, sometimes you can take the fact that the, the, the Chiefs have won a Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years as a criticism. But that's also been an incredibly successful team in terms of revenue because they've been a, that stadium's been a sellout forever and ever. Um, I, you know they don't have to do they don't have to put a lot of effort towards marketing that team in Kansas City. Uh, that's really the number one thing that goes on in that town, and that's what really drives. Uh, all of that revenue. So what happens with them in Frisco is a very, very different experience. But Buzz, I, I think you're exactly right. The lo- this is very much a long-term play for the Hunt family. As the- look, they, they paid essentially nothing for the team to begin with. They essentially just took over the debt of the existing Dallas Burn. And again, for those of you that are listening that are relatively new to this, most people have forgotten that Dallas Burn didn't have an owner right? It was a redheaded stepchild of Major League Soccer that was uh, an extra line item on the overall budget that had to be run as a grassroots thing by about 17 people here in Dallas. They didn't have (laughs) an owner back in the day. And so the Hunts took it over essentially only for the cost of the debt uh, and the operating expense. And now the club is worth what? A couple hundred
1: million dollars? Yeah, something like that. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they were willing to sell and divest the teams that were smaller market teams when they realized Dallas is the biggest market and it has both the Anglo and Hispanic side and it has a lot to say. go for it when the whole thing eventually becomes what we all think it could, could become. Um
0: all right well uh, we've put a uh, a nail in that uh, that one yeah. uh, Norm Hall has asked a question that is uh, this buzz buzz this will be for you We did hear today that FC Dallas is going to begin airing some older games or previous season games on their network of uh, TV stations they announced four of them Buzz I still don't know why you call them old school because they were games from 2018 and 2019 <laughs> but Uh, Norm's asked this question. Why can't don't FC Dallas MLS release classic games for its fans to be watching right now?
1: Well, the question would, would more than likely be, um, what their network, because if you read that article, they're actually going to air them on their local channel, uh, first. So part of it will be what, what that local channel wants to be willing to air. And that might come into, um, is it an old SD broadcast or is it a new HD broadcast? That could be a factor, Um, I did call it old school because I was hoping that the idea is that eventually they will show some of these old games um, and not just games from like a year ago. We'll see how that goes. Um, Now, most leagues, and I'm sure this is the case, within a certain window of the game, and it depends on the varies on the contract, the league owns their own images. They own own, the broadcasts of their own game. Um, NFL Films is a really weird example, and that's a really long, crazy story, but everybody else like within i think it's most of the time within 48 hours the league owns the pictures so they could in fact go back and show any game they want to pretty much as long as they have a copy of it um that's what the thing i worry about is i don't know with the turnover that's happening with fc dallison and the burn and how small that operation was in the beginning if anybody ever actually bothered to save uh broadcast worthy copies of all their old games it's entirely possible that they don't exist in a lot of cases, which will be a real tragedy uh, other than Kevin Lidstrom's VHS copies that he used to make back in the day.
0: Buzz, don't you and Dan have an article coming up uh, talking about if, if they would just air any games, you'll have like a, a top 10 list of FC Dallas slash Dallas Burn games you want to see again? Oh
1: yeah, that's uh, that seemed like an obvious thing to do is like when, once they started airing one or two old games, Dan and I started putting our heads together today and we're going to have it tomorrow. We're recording this Wednesday night. We're going to have a list tomorrow of some of the great games in FC Dallas history that we think they should air. So I hopefully would, people uh, will enjoy that list.
0: I would kill to see the opening day game at the Cotton Bowl with the Hugo Sanchez by bicycle kick i would yeah the
1: obviously the first ever home game or and or first ever game in their history whichever one we think looks better will be one of the 10 choices that goes without saying
0: okay uh dan lance little has asked do you think you'll ever get tired of rooting for the underdog of fcd
2: um no Uh, i think it's isn't is isn't supporting a team uh a labor of love. Uh, if you if you support it, you support it through thick and thin. So, um, you know, you you. It's like any passion. You you have days where you're pissed off of it. Days where it's the greatest thing on earth. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I always find it a little bit strange when people like question the ability to. You know, when people talk about oh the Hunts don't spend money. I'm gonna go support Atlanta or. I'm going to go support uh, Portland. It's like, well, did you ever actually support um, FC Dallas or your Premier League team or whoever? Or did you just, you know, were you just kind of like there? Um, you know, we we obviously don't have promotion and relegation um, from MLS, but, you know, if you support a team, you should support a team at any level, whether they got, you know, relegate down to the foot of the pyramid or or whether they win MLS Cup. So, uh, no, no.
0: I don't think it's a totally unfair question, Dan. And maybe it's not a function of... uh getting tired of rooting for an underdog but there I could understand why fans may feel uh, a lack of enthusiasm when they see other teams coming into the league and producing giant crowds and uh, signing name players and the level of enthusiasm and excitement that surrounds some of these teams I I do understand that aspect of it uh if you uh and, and maybe um you know, changing a desire to go as go to as many games, or maybe not buy season tickets and just go to a few games in a particular season. So, uh, I understand your um, your attitude towards the question, but I also uh, think it's a it, I don't think it's an unfair question.
1: My answer to that question is based on um, probably partially my age. Um, and I'm, Peter, you and I are roughly the same age, so I don't want to speak for you, of course, but you will know my experience, which is we spent a good part of our lives with no league at all to follow. I caught the very end of the North American Soccer League when I was you know, 10, 12, something, yeah. and then had nothing until other than the sidekicks, which I enjoyed the sidekicks as a teenager, but um, to me, indoor soccer is not the same game. I, I don't enjoy it like I do outdoor soccer. So to me, the answer is having had a big chunk of my life uh, up till I was basically 26 with no real pro teams to support or cheer for, um, I'm just super excited and always will be super excited and will always be there watching, supporting, just because there is a team at all that is a Division One professional soccer league playing at the highest level in this country. They could literally be the worst team in the league every single year. I would still go because I love High, high level professional soccer in my local market for me to go to and cheer for. So um, do I want them to win? Absolutely. I want them to be great, but uh, my fandom would not change based on whether they're good or bad. It doesn't matter to me. Just being there at all is all that matters.
0: Yeah. You and I are aligned on this. And I also feel like being angry about how teams or clubs are run and ownership spending and is, is just part of the experience of being a fan of a soccer club, either here in the United States or elsewhere, whether it be Mike Ashley or the Glazers or, or whoever it is, right? You just, uh, when, when Tom Hicks owned Liverpool, everybody hated that guy. And um, so I I think that's part of the experience, but you have to wedge yourself uh, and and set an allegiance. And speaking of that, uh, I'll do a slight promotion of the radio show, the kick around on the ticket this Saturday, because Andy and I have joked forever about something we call the court of allegiance, which is if, if, If you signed up to be a fan of a Premier League team uh, and you decided you didn't want to be a fan of them anymore because they got relegated and now you have a hard time watching them, we would allow listeners to call in and submit an application for a change of club allegiance, which is a one-time-per-lifetime opportunity. Interestingly, for the first time ever, we got an application this week for somebody who is asking for a change in allegiance from FC Dallas, to austin fc wow and so uh and he has written a lengthy uh explanation as to why he is asking for this change in allegiance and we will review it on the show on saturday and make our judgment <laughs> uh and do it live on the air Well, that'll so be it,
2: is the death sentence an option
0: uh, it is very much <laughs> yes use it uh, if in fact, I, I will add, cause uh, I don't think he knows this yet. If in fact he, his application for change of allegiance is accepted, he has to agree to immediately give away any possession he owns that is branded with the club of which he is, uh, uh disavowing. Oh, wow. Any and friendly. all, any, yeah. anything, anything, yeah. uh, tchotchkes, items, shirts, hats, whatever. He has to give them all away. Harsh penalty. Harsh penalty. Yeah. Well, no. Fair, I think.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Uh, okay. Fair but harsh.
1: <laughs>
0: fair, fair, fair but harsh. Let's see. Where were we? We were on number four. No, we were on number five. So now we're up to number six. Virgil Ross Green, Buzz, has asked you to predict next homegrown signings.
1: Okay, next homegrown signings. It will not be a player f- directly out of the academy. Um, there's a gap uh, that's formed It would have been Jonathan Gomez Next year But he's obviously left um, So after that Academy wise You have to wait till the current U15s Are uh, up A little bit older Probably a year and a half Two years from now Maybe that Maybe 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 So in the short run You will see one player Probably sign for North Texas Relatively soon Maybe this year Justin Shea But he won't be a Homegrown right away So the answer to the question Next homegrown Is a college player Next year You'll see Just like um, oh, just like, goodness gracious, I just brain farted. Just like Eddie Lundjoma was this year. Mm-hmm. You'll see, it'll probably be one of three players. Brandon Turwig, who's the center back at SMU, who's been a four-year, or will about, about to be a four-year starter in college. Mark Salas, who's a highly underrated uh, defender who can play every position in the back line for UNC. Or Gio Montes de Osa, which I probably butchered his name, who also plays at UNC but blew out his knees for his senior year. Very creative, interesting attacking player. If he recovers and has a great year. One of those three guys, perhaps as a college player, depending on how their season goes, that's your next home run. And then uh, Buzz, as a follow-up, Fritz asks the question, what are the
0: odds that one of Montgomery, Burgess, or Evans turns into at least a above-average MLS center back? All, all three of them, two of them?
1: One of them very, very good. I, I actually firmly believe now that Callum Montgomery could be uh, really close to Matt Hedges' 2.0, like a career MLS center back and play for Canada. Colin Montgomery, um, uh, Nikosi Burgess is the highest ceiling and lowest floor. Both, uh, he could actually be better than MLS, or he could never play in MLS. It'll just depend entirely on uh, his own work rate and willing to, willingness to learn. Because he's an amazing athlete, but he has a long way to go. Um, and then Breck Evans has the toughest road uh, to make it. Right now, he looks like a USL Championship player. Now, if this year he does really well in Austin and makes some strides he'll have a shot at MLS but right now he's probably an outside the MLS player so really good that's one and then maybe two but probably not all three
0: all right Dan I was hoping you could help out with this question from Trent which is largely a question about scouting and the question is is there a scenario where FC Dallas needs to sell Low on a player, so that their players will show well on the international market before a pipeline that clubs will then consider them to be filled with talent worth looking at. I'm paraphrasing Trent's question.
2: Um, no, uh, that's that's not really how scouting works. Uh, FC Dallas are heavily scouted by teams across the world as uh, as a team with uh, with a great reputation for its academy. A team that shows well in in large tournaments, including the Dallas Cup, um, you yeah, know, obviously not this year, but in, in other seasons. Um, you know, uh, with a lot of teams, uh, their scouting network just extends everywhere. There are people that that don't receive, a, they don't receive like a stipend or or a salary or anything like that. But what they are looking for is a finder's fee. So they are scouting local games. They are. You know, they're running things up the chain. Like you need to take a look at this guy. Check out any any video on him. And and you know they're they're in the hunt for that finders fee. Because you're talking, if you get an FC Dallas youth player to a European club, you might get, you know, somewhere between five and twenty grand as a finders fee. These are, you know, so that they're, they're motivated to to work a lot. Um, you know, and they're watching. Uh, you know every level, uh, right. from from academy to MPSL up to MLS and, and beyond. Um, yeah, I remember one of my uh, one of my PE teachers when I was at school was a scout for uh, Aston Villa, and I would always I'd always bump into him at games, uh, like just little local games, and it was it was exactly that he was looking for guys that could, you know, to run up the chain for maybe to maybe get into their youth system. Uh, hmm. So, you know, it, there isn't like a, there isn't a pipeline or an, anyone that needs to be sold low. Players are going to sell for a value or, or with MLS, maybe a little bit below, but things like that will help MLS find its value.
1: Yeah. Though, as Dan said, there's a, I know of a guy right now in town here who's a scout for German teams and he doesn't work for a team. He works independently and he sells, players and does a finer fee with clubs all up and down Germany, just from like the Dallas area. And um, there was a guy that used to work out of FC Dallas that, um, that FC Dallas hired as a scout named Jorge Avid, uh, goodness, Jorge something Avalol something like that. Uh, this is like 10 years ago now, um, maybe even 15. He helped them when they went to Chile he helped them scout players and he scouted their dudes. He's the one that took the Funis Mori brothers to Chelsea and then facilitated their move to River Plate. So these kind of headhunting agents work all up and down the system you know, in this country and sell and mitigate and help move to other teams around the world.
0: Hey, Buzz, William Hagens is asking a question about uh, the goalkeeping situation, considering uh, the, el- the age of Jimmy and Kyle and Jesse's young. So if he ha- had somebody come in with a good offer, what is uh, the standing of anybody else waiting in the wings? Or to use William's quote, or net, I suppose. I see what you did there, William.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Jesse obviously um, – can can play, he's the kind of uh, keeper that right now is very about his athleticism. But keepers can play till they're 40 if they were a good enough athlete and if they develop the mental side of their game. So that's going to be the question with Jesse, how deep he can go. So um, if they do end up selling him to someone like Mexico, which I actually think at this point is unlikely. I think it's more likely he'll be here for the next... He honestly could play here for another 10 years easily. Um, start here for another 10 years easily. Now Jimmy and Kyle are both 30, but... Um, that means they could each play another four or five years, too. So there's not a real rush if those guys are content. But um, after that, it's a problem. Uh, Carlos Aviles is not progressing like we would like. This is going to be a big make or break year for him, I think. They actually brought in another keeper, uh, Luis Zamundo. Uh, Zamudo, Zamundo. Uh, who's a former Sueno competitor who looks quite athletic uh, right now, Carlos is holding on to that number one job. But if he doesn't progress this season and doesn't look like he's making, let's say, strides in the right direction, then uh, his future will not be looking good. Uh, and then after that, you really have to look down in the academy at Seth Wilson or um, Anthony Carrera, who are both ones in 19 and ones a 17, who both have pro potential. But again, you know, keepers mature late. So anybody that they have at the academy, you're talking about four or five years probably before they're going to be worth anything to the MLS side. Jesse was very, very rare in his ability to sign a pro deal at 18 and actually be contributing to the MLS side. So um, if for some reason Bauer or Zoback don't hold up over the next four years, uh, more than likely you're probably looking at having to go out into free agency because it's going to be, even with Aviles, if he turns it around, even he's probably three or four years out. So um, there's going to be a gap if they don't, if they don't have, uh, jimmy and kyle hold up
0: all right well i think we uh got through all of the really really good uh club and league and delay related questions and man i really appreciate all of these this, some of these were really really well thought out and well uh, and well asked so uh, thank you to everybody who got those in and if we didn't get to your questions we'll probably do this again here very quickly since um there shall not be soccer anytime soon uh there was another question that i thought was an interesting one it's a it's a hypothetical from the worst soccer account question the three of you are at lunch who's most likely to pick up the tab
2: luchi gonzalez obviously (laughs) <laughs> that's
0: only. Puzzle, if, that's only puzzle if it's only we shoot him a
2: text, then that's right. you know a waiter <laughs> yeah. comes over and says, like, "Gentlemen, this has been taken care of." It just magically uh, be paid yeah. for.
0: Lucci will Venmo the restaurant.
1: Okay. Well, I can tell you who the least likely is me because I don't have a
2: job now. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we won't be going to Woo. lunch anytime soon then. All right,
2: we'll let we'll, you make we'll sandwiches. Some uh, we'll get we'll get delivery, but we'll make sure it's from the same restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. There you go.
0: All right, uh, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, please take care of yourself. Don't go out and uh, be all millennial and spread the disease. Uh, so no right. promises. No promises. All right. And uh, Buzz, uh, would you like to promote your Patreon account? Since clearly you're desperate for money. Yeah, I
1: am in fact desperate for money. Uh, well, not to be completely fair, the summer is a low time for me anyway. So it's it's close to my cycle anyway. But nonetheless, TV, you know, all sports are dead, which kills all income for me. I usually work college baseball up until about May and then I, you know, don't have a lot going on. But uh the Patreon is obviously patreon.com slash third degree. Um it, it seems like now is as good a time as any to sort of double down on third degree and see if I can push this thing and make it work on some level. So hopefully you like this podcast. Hopefully you like what we're doing. And if you do sign up, you'll find I do give some extra content there. Um, which are kinda like mini podcasts and hopefully people people enjoy them and and uh, I think they're worthwhile. I, I think they're fun, and I think you know if people have questions like all these questions that are in this Q and A today, that I answer them for the patrons all the time. So um, sign up and support. Give us whatever you can, and hopefully we can make this thing into a real business.
0: All right. And uh, I have a question for both you and Dan. How many uh, middle fingers, buzz or birds, Dan? Did you flip at? Uh, uh, at dot com for failing to add third degree to their podcast uh, <laughs> list and article earlier this week.
1: Yeah, a couple. I, I mean, I emailed them and I tweeted at them and nothing happened. So that was kind of, uh you know, kind of a slap, but whatever, you know, it I happens. Taught I told my
2: dog and my cat to both put their middle toe bean thingy up in the <laughs> air for it. Man, look in all seriousness I think our work for
1: speaks for itself I think it's really, I think we do a fabulous job so hopefully you know MLS can get on board and promote us a little bit that'd be cool Uh
0: yeah yeah I agree It's weird they put the uh, podcast version of the soccer of our radio show on there And we're not an FC Dallas (laughs) focused show. We talk more Premier League generally, or at least half the show is. It was a, I I actually, I think that list was generated from a list from a couple of years ago where every club was asked to submit a list, and the third degree podcast didn't exist at the time. That's Um, true. uh, And I I think that's why it, yeah, it's pretty hokey. So, uh, well, hopefully they'll get that corrected and get you added. That'd be lovely. Uh, and, of course, all of the listeners to the pod can obviously uh, send an email uh, in support of Buzz as well. And you've certainly got your own – you've you've started to pick up some uh, national uh, uh, notoriety. People have been calling you up to participate in their shows and podcast buzz. And,
2: oh, a little um, bit. That was
0: nice. And some yeah. other people on a national level have started listening to the podcast and making comments about it on Twitter and such. So you got, that's got to make you feel good.
1: Yeah, no, that any kind of – you get recognition from people that you respect out in the media world that cover soccer. That's always really nice. So well, it's, it has been a good couple of months.
0: And considering you've done this longer than pretty much all of them together combined times 15, <laughs> uh, that just makes it all the sweeter, right?
1: I've been doing this longer than some of them have been alive. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
0: longer than Paxton has for sure. Well, thank you, to everybody, for writing the great questions. Thank you, Buzz and Dan, again. FC Dallas fans, thank you. We love Anna adory- you. What? Oh, no. Somebody dying no. in the background? SARS. SARS. We have a SARS attack? Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you, FC Dallas fans. We will speak to you next week, I suppose, on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. West Thomas Rommens.